welcome to Translating the World with Rainer Schulte. This is a podcast of the Center for Translation Studies at the University of Texas at Dallas. The center was founded by Rainer Schulte, who is the editor of Translation Review, since 1978. And he's also the co-founder of the American Literary Translators Association. I am Sarah Valenti, the creator and host of this podcast. I'm delighted to introduce our guest for today's episode. Julia Leverone is a poet, a translator from Spanish, and a professor. She teaches creative writing and Spanish at the University of Texas at Dallas. She is the editor of the online poetry in translation magazine, Azono, and she has published two chapbooks. She has an MFA in poetry from the University of Maryland, and she holds a PhD in comparative literature with a primary focus on Latin America and a second focus on the poetry of the United States in the 20th century. Welcome to the podcast, Julia. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So I'd love for us to actually begin by talking about your work as editor of this online literary magazine, Azono. Can you talk to us about what is this Poetry in Translation magazine and when did you start it? And what is the guiding principle for creating this? I think it's one of a kind type of magazine that you have online. Sure, I'd be glad to. Uh, Asono um, was born on December 30th, 2019, <laughs> um, but wasn't really up and running until January. It is an online free space um, for quality poetry and translation from around the world. Um, tends towards a contemporary, but we do, uh, I've had ancient poets in translation um, in several of our issues. We have just run our third. And uh, the magazine is published on our website, azonaltranslation.com. And the issues are free, again, uh, as well as submissions, they're free, uh, which was purposeful. I wanted to make this something that was accessible and transportable. And uh, I absolutely value everyone's time and work and and it should be paid, it should be valued. But uh, this, this stage of translation publication uh, in this moment is not one where we are all compensated necessarily. And, and access is absolutely something that is going to get people heard. And that's what I want to do. I want to represent people who haven't been served in publication, either translators, poets, their communities, their languages, whatever. <laughs> All of that um, needs uh, to be spread. And so I'm giving a platform to do that. The one thing that occurred to me while I was looking at some of the uh, people you have published, it is conceivable that you might get some money from uh, embassies. That's just one possibility uh, that I have pursued in the past somewhat successfully. And right now, with a pandemic hanging over us, uh, sometimes embassies are very keen to promote themselves in terms of their literature and their poets. That's just one suggestion. And then the other question that I have, um, how do you make your decisions and how do you attract the manuscripts? Do you have a congregation of translators? 
uh, or how how do you familiarize yourself, let's say, with a writer from Latin America? That's obviously in your area. But let's say, how do you familiarize yourself with a writer from Vietnam? Yeah, that's it's a question that I also ask myself as an editor. How do we maintain to get a wide representation of poets and writers? And you have succeeded in doing that. Uh, and so uh, how, how, and you, you don't have much of a staff, do you? No. <laughs> yeah, I'll see. Mm -hmm. um, I have put out calls for submissions on Facebook. Uh, I'm listed in the database that Entropy Magazine hosts. And um, on, uh, I suppose you could call it a waiting list for um, larger databases like Duotrope and um, Poets and Writers, where they need to see that you're established before they will list you. Um, and uh, through my contacts at the Alta Conference, uh, people who I've met um, and connected with and, and know, or, or you know, visiting translators um, these are these are people who I keep in my my cash <laughs> so to speak and um, can draw on for soliciting their work but I also read around you know I read words without borders asymptote um, <clears throat> and you know myriad other translation journals that are very active in this moment some of which are also free like Azonal and online and uh, that's how that's how I get a sense for who is active in translation who is seeking publication um, and uh, what's new in translation I think um, I would love to expand the languages that have been represented in the magazine. Uh, we, we've only gotten so many and um, the, the typical representations are Spanish, French, Italian, Russian. Um, I have a Hungarian um, translator who continually submits and um, it's lovely to get that part of the world looped in as well and Romanian too. Had luck with that. <laughs> Um, but uh, for lesser represented languages, I do research into uh, you know, who is working in that that language. Um, reach out to poets and see if there's if I can if I can in their language if they have any translators. Reach out to translators and uh, um, university departments where um, writing is happening. Um, I've been fortunate, too, to have some very new translators uh, published in Azonal, which I think is very exciting. Some first-time published translators or who people who are just beginning to send out. And um, uh, that's something that I, I've done, too, in the past. I've sent emails to um, MFAs where translation is happening in the U.S., and and seen some success there. Mm -hmm. Do you at all interact with the younger generation of Alta? I suppose I'm part of that. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I know that, but what I was wondering, uh, I I looked at one of them, and all of a sudden I got a list that there were twenty. How good they are, I do not know, but that there were twenty translators from Korean. 
mm-hmm. which I obviously didn't know. It all of a sudden comes comes at me. Yeah. And I thought in the long run, what I would like to see is have a database of translators that both you, I, and a few other people could use. Yeah. The other part also, which is more difficult, is you have to exclude some of the translators who are bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you run into this as well. And uh, how, how what, what do we do with them? I mean, there's some translators I won't touch. Uh, and you shouldn't touch them either. <laughs> so uh, if I were to ask you from your judgment, can you name about three or five of what you consider to be some very active, intelligent, creative, younger people in terms of writers? Yeah, um, in this last issue, uh, I published Whitney DeVos, um, who uh, I met at a comparative literature conference, actually, um, not Alta, but um, she's active. Um, Robin Myers is fantastic. Um, I published her in the previous issue. Um, she is an incredible, incredibly prolific translator um, based in Mexico City and is just pumping out translations. It's great. And um, gosh, there's there have to be more, but these are who are coming to mind. What would you say is the the pulse of the moment um, as far as the submissions that you are receiving from, especially these younger generation? Um, is there, do you see a kind of a common thread in the kinds of submissions? Or how would you describe sort of the pulse of the moment for poetry in translation? Sure, yeah. I am seeing translators send in work Um, that appears to be political, that has um, an urgent um, tinge to it that needs to communicate a message uh, about um, something that's going on in the um, present moment. Um, I had um, uh, um, Josefina Comparelli sent in um, some pieces uh, in writing about the pandemic. Um, She had translated... um, uh, an author writing about the pandemic, uh, and uh, that is reflecting our, you know, our current concerns um, globally. Um, but again, there are definitely um, many submitters who are sending in work that um, is calling attention to um, ongoing trials in uh, countries to um, bring recognition. Um, um, to harms being done by the government, to repression that's occurring in those countries. And um, I think that I see that in contemporary English poetry as well, political, um, uh, a political tendency where um, on the page people are feeling like they have the space to be heard and to get their message across to readers. I have been thinking for various reasons and also contexts to begin a kind of international forum for writers and thinkers in the humanities. And I would like to develop this. And from your point of view, you might suggest one or the other poet whom we can invite, him or her, 
and then say either pay them 250 or 500 dollars so uh, i think probably quite a few of writers will might be interested in i i can judge that but what i'm very much interested in enlarging the presence of the translation as a major portion and revitalization agent of the humanities because it is very important the academic world right now is thinking backwards and you know this as well as i do and therefore uh, i was reassured when we just did the uh, podcast with sam hazel who did the international poetry forum for 43 years in pittsburgh and that was one of the most successful events or whatever you want to call it in the united states and i think we have the potential uh, to maybe institute something like this these are ideas you know, as our former president, one of them said uh, uh, when he came to UTD that the students and the faculty are not taking enough risks. That has been in the back of my mind ever since. And I think you are taking a risk by uh, starting a journal, which is very difficult, especially in the area of poetry. And I think now we need to think differently in terms of a pandemic that opens up all kinds of new channels. And that's that's where I think we are. And you, you're the younger generation. You have to help me push. I think right now is the time to act and you're part of that future activity. Sarah, you and quite a few others. And you have done the initiation of a journal that in itself is a contribution to the expansion of the intercultural communication. I bet that inviting editors of translation journals or poetry journals that are publishing translations regularly would be a great idea to um, establish first contact, you know, uh, and them out for uh, you know who they might like to invite to some kind of forum uh, or how else to support the community. So I, I encourage you to continue on the same level in the same horizon and uh, also see how we can enlarge the horizon and get other people, energetic creative people involved in, in seeing the future because it will be different. You know, I mean, I was a child when the war broke out or when it finished, and I think things have changed then. And now it's another part where things will change. And you, the generation of your age, will have to have a major function. You know, uh, by starting a zonal, um, this was a way to reach out and connect people to you and that it was um, active during the pandemic uh, is I think fortunate. I th think that, you know, for various reasons, people um, um, lost contact and uh, this is, that's my hope too, is to um, use momentum from this moment and uh, personal momentum to achieve some something um, different in the future, some some kind of newness where um, there's more representation and more discussion, communication. Well, you know, uh, George Steiner said, uh, all acts of communication are acts of translation. You have it right there. 
you know, and, and that is very, very true that I have used more than I would like to admit over the years, but that's a different story. What would you say, you know, in Plano there was, I have never verified that. Some of the teachers were told they could no longer teach poetry. I hope it's not true, but apparently in some areas it was true. What do you think from your point of view as a poet, what would you say would be a way to reactivate the interest and the reading of poets to younger students? Have any idea? Uh, I hadn't heard that about Plano, but that's such an ill-advised decision, probably coming from people who never had poetry involved in their educations, um, or very little, or poetry that was um, inaccessible. Uh, I think that uh, <laughs> I would go as far as to require it, um, but uh, inviting um, or sending out um, um, poets, even students of poetry to high schools to give readings, um, virtual readings now um, are on the plate um, because we've we've all made uh, made amends with that reality and we can incorporate that um, into in-person uh, education. I think that um, students absolutely need poetry. Um, it's the most economical way of expressing yourself in language on the page um, and to feel what you mean in words. Um, and these, you know, if you're talking about K through 12 students, these are children who are finding themselves and need to be heard and to, to have a reflection of themselves in order to understand who they want to be. Um, and uh, if they can make a little bit of beauty um, or if they can hear a kind of poetry that sounds like it's coming from a real person and that it's no, not so hard to make really, um, then that enables them in a really important way. Uh, I would <laughs> um, I would say that you know, we really need to have this incorporated into curricula and um, uh, could create events where multiple schools um, um, sign in to the video conference, um, where you know somebody might be reading, might be going through a workshop. Um, but but yes, we need that. Mm -hmm. If I were to give you a poem, let's say it was originally written in English for a moment. And I say, here is a poem I want you to take to the high school students. What would you do? Uh, I, I would need to make sure that it would be something that they could access, that they would be able to find some meaning in, even a little bit. Um, uh, you know, even if it's just one part, um, and um, if you're telling me as <laughs> somebody who's outside of um, K through 12 to take it to a high school, um, I would probably 
Um, I would probably schedule either um, in class or whole school um, um, an assembly, something like that, and and read it to them and then talk them through um, how it could be taken, um, have them read it, um, maybe have them, you know, have students memorize line by line, um, and, and then after engaging with it in their heads and in, in, you know, orally hearing it come out of themselves, they find new things that, um, they didn't when reading. Um, and, uh, I would maybe also have them imitate the style, um, to try on a voice, um, which is what, you know, translation does when you're writing it when you're doing it um there's so many things that you could do with one poem i think what i appreciate in your comments is very simply that you get the students to perform the poem rather than you're telling them what it means i like this that you say yes i come in and i become i become the reliver the reconstruction the performer of the poem and that's what stays with the students I think that uh, there's this huge fear, I see this in university classes too, of exposing oneself because so much is felt in poetry or so much is, is um, made vulnerable. And um, I mean, there is a trend um, towards addressing one's interior, you know, with mental health becoming much less taboo than it has been. And uh, and maybe that'll affect poetry too. Um, you know, being able to let other people know, or at least a teacher, you know, um, what's going on inside your head, uh, and feel like you're not going to be judged for it uh, is um, it's a huge step for so many students. Something that I find really interesting, Julia, about your biography is the types of works that you have yourself been engaged in translating. So, of course, you know, you, you have this uh, research interest in 20th century poetry of witness, um, contemporary revolutionary political poetry. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about this as we're talking about, you know, poetry as being the closest that one can get when the students are writing poetry, the closest that they can get to try and their feelings or to try and manifest what it is that they feel inside. I think it's super powerful to hear a little bit about your experience in translating uh, the Argentine journalist and militant Franco Orando uh, and the kind of poetry that he was writing, why he was writing it. If you could talk to us a little bit about this, I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah. Um with poetry of witness, um, very often, especially uh, in these these years, um, the way that it first transpires is through the eye, through personal experience. Um, of course, it's possible to witness um, secondarily, um, uh, or you know, even further beyond that. But uh, but with what one has lived through. Um, um, if you're a poet of witness, that becomes um, a kind of imperative um, to express. Um, these poets develop an ethic towards the um, the political um, and the poetic. Uh, first, the poetic, always first. 
Um, and that's what Paco Urondo did. Um, he was part of the militant um, group um, Montoneros in Argentina in the um, 50s, 60s, 70s. And he uh, was even in a leadership role in Montoneros, which later joined with FAR, the, the um, Argentine Revolutionary Forces. And um, his journalism was um, a big part of that. Um, his poetry was a big part of that, a part of his activist project um, in communicating truths about um, a very and incredibly repressive um, government that was exercising censorship, that was kidnapping, um, torturing, disappearing um, tens of thousands of people. And uh, to speak out was uh, to risk one's life. Um, and knowing this, he, he insisted on continuing, um, refused exile, even though um, his con some of his contemporaries did, like Juan Helman. And Helman had encouraged Paco to leave the country as well, but Paco chose to stay and fight. Um, he was uh, insistent on um, on staying in Argentina because he thought that this was the only way that he could um, fight for. It was the best way that he could fight for a future where um, there wasn't this dictatorship um, and um, gave his life for it. And he was he was chased down and killed by police in um, Mendoza, Argentina. Um, and actually um, saved his um, compañera, um, Rene Awali, and his partner, Alicia Raboy, and his toddler, um, his daughter, um, by giving himself over to the police when, when the chase had ended. It's incredibly a uh, moving story. And you published a book of most, I think, a, a large majority of his poetry. Um, it's titled Few and Fire, including poems from 1956 to 76, which is, you know, 20 years of his life. Uh, is there a poem that you would like to share with us that we could listen to um, his voice through your translation? Yeah, I would love to. Um, I have um, the selected poems, um, Fuel and Fire, um, is just a fraction of what he published in his life. And he um, he had a posthumous collection um, that he wrote essentially right up until he was assassinated. Um, Fuel and Fire um, is taken from um, one of the titles of his poems. Um, but I'd like to read... Um, one of his latest poems, uh, this is one of Urondo's uh, more political poems, um, more insistent poems. It's called Muchas Gracias in Spanish. So I'll read that to you and then my translation. Muchas gracias. Sirve y me inclino ante tu palabra, luz de mi pensamiento. Abrirán las puertas, dejarán entender. Los artistas, los intelectuales, siempre han sacudido el polvo de la realidad. Descubrieron caminos, emancipaciones que no siempre lograron recorrer. Era prematuro en algunos casos, en otros fue distinto, convengamos. 
Otras palabras son bajar la corredera de la mira, buscar con el guión y dar justamente sobre algo que puede moverse. Un bulto, un meneo a menos de 100 metros de tu corazón vulnerable, también enemigo. La suerte ha dejado aquí de andar fallando. Se encendió la luz y pudo verse el caos, las flagrancias. Esa mano ahí, esta codicia. El miedo y otras mezquindades se pusieron en evidencia y el amor no aparecía por ninguna parte. Recompuestos de la sorpresa, rendidos ante los hechos, nadie pudo negar que en este país, en este continente, nos estamos todos muriendo de vergüenza. Aquí estoy perdiendo amigos, buscando viejos compañeros de armas, ganándome tardíamente la vida, queriendo respirar trozos de esperanzas, poco nada de aliento, salir volando para no hacer agua, para ver toda la tierra y caer en sus brazos. And here is my translation. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's enough. I lean into your words, light for my thoughts. They'll open doors and let truth be heard. The artists, the intellectuals, they've always dusted off reality, uncovered ways, emancipations they themselves couldn't always see through. They were premature in some cases, and in others, well, let's concede, those require other terms. Drawing the slide back to cock the hammer, using the sight to sit on something that could move. A shape, a wrestling, less than a hundred yards from your vulnerable heart, also enemy. Here, chance has ceased to be mistaken. The light was lit and your chaos could be seen, the atrocities. That hand there, this greed. Fear and other malignancies were evidenced. Love did not appear anywhere. No one, utterly changed by the surprise, exhausted by what happened. No one can deny that in this country, in this continent, we are dying of shame. Here I am losing friends, looking for old comrades in arms, gaining life too late, wanting to breathe in fragments of hope, mouthfuls of breath, to leave, flying, so I won't drown, so I can see the whole earth and fall in its arms. Incredibly moving poem. And I always find interesting how, you know, in, in Spanish, also in Portuguese, the, the, the term for dying of of anything, right? It, it's such a colloquial use and something that people use all the time. And in this poem, it was interesting to see uh, the translation, um, you know, uh, dying of shame. But in, in the Spanish, it's, it's really elevating this kind of everyday type of talk, you know, oh, I'm dying of hunger, I'm dying of cold, I'm dying of shame. But in this poem, it really turns that into something that is so powerful. Um, in the in, in especially in the way uh, that you translated it as well, it really it really brings it across. And so, thank you for 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 bringing that. One question that I have: if we think about, you know, we've talked about your work as editor, um, your own work as translator, and of course, also you teach creative writing courses. And so, I'm interested to hear from you: how do these three? Um, worlds we could say inform one another 
um, and how you you understand your role as an educator, as a poet, as a translator. It, I think it would be really interesting to hear uh, how these come together for you. Yeah, I do consider myself um, as a poet first, but I identify very strongly as a comparatist. And so that's helped me reconcile um, you know, various um, parts of my um, my career and, and bringing them together um, with ease. I think that editing is inseparable from translating, from teaching. When I get poems from my students, my editor comes in and uh, assists them and um, uh, my translatorly um, readers mind, ear, eye, all of those things um, also come into play when I'm, I'm teaching or when I'm reading student work. Um, more explicitly, I do bring translations into the creative writing classroom uh, every semester. Um, so that they can see how powerful it is to take on someone else's voice and in that way, um, ideally, return to their own with m more of an idea of who they are as writers. Um, so they're, they're all interconnected for me. Absolutely. And what would you say is... Uh, has been on your mind, you know, in this last year, you've already alluded to this, um, talking about how sort of the pandemic, of course, is always in the background, um, even the poems that are coming in through the submissions of Azono. Uh, but for you as a poet, if we could turn a little bit to your own creative work, uh, what has been a topic that has been on your mind that has been inspiring you to write? Um, and perhaps if you have a poem you'd like to share with us, I think it would also be interesting to listen to one of your own works. I've been interested in motherhood um, because I have a recently turned three-year-old um, on a personal level, but uh, on immigration and immigrant rights um, in my poetry and in my translation work, um, I'm hoping to represent more Honduran writers, um, my husband being a Honduran immigrant. And um, climate change is a huge uh, um, topic that I've been touching on in recent work and is part of my um, manuscript. I have two manuscripts right now. Um, I'm waiting to be um, um, become themselves. Um, uh, climate change and uh, um, I suppose it's politics of space where uh, I would like to see more activity in researching space. Uh, um, to learn about ourselves. And I have a poem about that um, that I can read. Um, this is called Sailanthropus Stands. Sailanthropus was the first uh, humanoid um, to become bipedal. So this is my poem Sailanthropus Stands. The Chilean telescope Trappist system's rocky closeness translates to seven fellow planets in a habitable orange-pink sky, a lifting starkly, sister moons transiting, just envision that size and looming company within the initial data, that dot of light wavered, blipped, anomalied, and that obverse way that detours lead us to us. Thank you, Julia. You have quite literally taken us to space. I love that. <laughs> Wonderful. 
Reiner, any last closing words, remarks, questions? Uh, Julia, this is uh, a very uh, insightful picture of how you have developed yourself. So thank you very much for the podcast and uh, we will be in touch. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much. Yeah. And you. good luck to you. Thank you. It was a joy talking with both of you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Translation Center, please visit translation.utdallas.edu and keep up with us on our social media accounts, which can be found on our website. Stay safe and take care. We'll see you next time.